0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: So, I think our agency is unique in the fact that we also do a bunch of things that are outside of the scope of just soil and water conservation. So, we have four key um, core programs, one of those being our flood control program.
0: Well, here we are, December 6th, 2023. It's not the sixth day of Christmas, Delaney, in that song, because there's only 12. So we'll have to remember that as we get closer to only being 12 days away from Christmas.
2: That is a bad dad joke, Tanner.
0: (laughs) It was, uh, I guess, yes, a poor, poor effort. My, I will work on getting better at that.
2: Okay, thank you. I'm holding you to it.
0: (laughs) Well, our friends in Minnesota and Wisconsin are hoping that maybe their weather gets better. They've got a hazardous weather outlook for parts of northeastern Minnesota and northwestern Wisconsin. Light snow is possible today and tonight in the Minnesota Arrowhead region. This is gonna create slick conditions. The alert goes to say the widespread hazardous weather could be Thursday through next Tuesday with the potential for that long expansive session not creating a ton of accumulation. Or just being a nuisance we woke up here with frost on the roof and the grass in central Iowa however tomorrow Iowa has a chance of setting heat records so amazing to believe Delaney that there could be such a swing in temperatures to be warmer than typical during this time of year and of course we're watching the southern plains high wind is still a factor in that area we'll continue to keep an eye on that but that's what I've got for weather today.
2: All right. Well, not much of a weather update, so we'll keep it short. Move along. That's right. Tanner, today is day seven of day eight, sorry, of COP28, and it's going to bring some monumental travel to the UAE, not necessarily for COP28. Today is a day of rest, they say, as relief is in sight. Traditionally, That this day seven area is a day of rest for COP28 negotiators, delegates, and journalists when they'll take time to recharge their batteries, maybe do some excursions in Dubai, and have a day to break in between all of the heavy discussion. But it's also a monumental day because President Vladimir Putin is visiting Saudi Arabia and the UAE, which is a rare foreign trip by the Russian president. Folks are watching to see if he will also drop by. Dubai to, to visit the COP28 system, but we don't know that for sure. However, we do know he is heading to the Middle East to discuss oil production and OPEC Plus with Saudi Arabia's crown prince. Putin's meeting with the prince is coming after oil prices have fallen despite a pledge by OPEC Plus, which is led by a group of allies, including Russia, to further cut oil output. They are going to continue their relationship here today. And Putin was commented in a statement saying, quote, our relations largely due to your position, referencing the UAE, have reached an unprecedentedly high level. The UAE is Russia's main trading partner in the Arab world. And Putin is going to do all he can today to continue developing that relationship. And again, OPEC plus whose members decided to pump the brakes on exports, produce currently about 40% of the world's oil. Not sure where this discussion is going to lead, if President is President Putin is trying to increase OPEC oil production, or if he has a specific goal in mind. It's not clear to reporters who are speculating, potentially, on what they will be discussing here. But uh, what we do know is, of course, There is a lot of oil coming from Russia and the Middle East, and that is going to be a big point of discussion during this monumental visit.
0: Yeah, it's one of those that's going to be looming for a little while. We have seen here some Fed notes that may have a big shift in their attitude since their September, uh, excuse me, since their last September meeting. Current signals in the U.S. economy indicate that the Federal Reserve may start cutting interest rates significantly next year. An initial cut cut could come as early as the first quarter in 2024, but most analysts are saying there won't be a cut until the second quarter. Key factors in the central banking system will consider whether inflation has reached its target of 2% and continue to keep their eye on other areas. Currently, inflation is about 3.2%, but interest rates are still high with no sight in the next meeting for rates to come back down. As you keep an eye on these indicators, that 2% target could be very hard pressed case that if it reaches that level on a consistent basis for them not to start returning rates to a lower period. The marketplace has swung very quickly, says a Fed spokesperson. Holding rates higher and longer could create more of a standstill. The shift of this altitude of rates could create a position to where U.S. Treasury yields don't fall into the targeted goal spots as well. So they'll continue to keep an eye on this, Delaney, but was a little surprised to see. I figured the flat period would be then place for a little bit longer. A lot of other indications is the labor market is softening up. Historically, when the unemployment rate goes up by more than a half percent, that's a sign of a recession. So we're continuing to keep an eye on that. But we do have a lot of split predictions. Camps on both sides are not quite sure what the Fed is going to do next. We'll keep an eye on their next meeting and see what the rest of their notes say.
2: Yeah. And, you know, the other part of this story, Tanner, is how this is impacting the larger global economy. Well, China has been uh, once again in the headlines here as their Evergrande Group, which is the largest real estate holding and real estate company, I believe, in the world, let alone in China, is also the most indebted real estate company. They currently have liabilities of $327 billion. And China has just announced that they're going to allow an extension to restructure this group's liabilities following a favorable court ruling for the group. This gives eight more weeks for the company to come up with solutions to solving their spiraling debt problem amongst here the stagnant property market that's currently going on in China. But China's central bank has vowed to safeguard this company. Of course, that would be bad for the Chinese economy. And the next focus will be China's Central Economic Work Conference later this month, where policymakers in China will discuss economic targets for the coming year. However, the picture is not going to be so rosy, Tanner. It's a closed-door meeting, so we will only get out of that speculation and whatever China decides to release or censor release. But China is currently facing a much larger, significant, and potentially dangerous problem related to some of their hidden debt. Of course, being a communist country, they are not always apt or quick to share what's truly going on behind the scenes. But not only do we see this really large debt holding for this real estate company in China, but there's also other various sources, including the International Monetary Fund and folks on Wall Street banks, estimating that the total amount of off-balance sheet debt for the government in china is somewhere between 7 trillion and 11 trillion dollars tanner so there is a high default risk for china right now and economists have identified that a significant portion of this hidden debt is anywhere from 400 to 800 billion dollars and this could pose a considerable threat to China's financial stability, as well as the global stability here of the world market, since they are such a large global player. So hopefully we do hear a little bit more coming out of that work conference later this month, but uh, it's China, so we'll have to take it with
0: a grain of salt. Yeah, that's correct. It's quite interesting when you think about off balance sheet debt, because you know liabilities should be listed on a balance sheet. But again, like you said, that is China. we got some unfortunate news coming out of the House Agricultural Committee. Leader Glenn Thompson announced that he has been diagnosed with prostate cancer. The diagnosis came after a routine physical. He did make this announcement asking for both prayers and par- privacy at this time. So anyone that has worked with him, he stated, knows that he's an eternal optimist and he will undergo treatment, but I'm grateful for the medical team and the family that he has around him. <laughs> Glenn was first elected to Congress in 2008 from the North Pennsylvania's 15th Congressional District. He became a ranking member of the Ag Committee in 2021 and a chair when Republicans took control of the House in 2023. News of this diagnosis is going to provide maybe some encouragement for other committee members to step up and fill that spot. As of right now, Thompson has no indications of resigning that lead position the national milk producers federation also said that they are backing uh, representative thompson stated they know he's always been a fighter there are other ag entities that are continuing to pledge their support for him as well of course this comes Delaney at a time to where farm bill discussions are really starting to heat up hopefully that continuity can remain where it is under his leadership and we can continue to get things pushed through
2: I hadn't realized that he was dealing with those health issues. So thanks for bringing that up. I'm sure he's going to do his best, as you mentioned, to work to get the farm bill through. But that certainly presents additional challenges that we're already seeing here, on top of the challenges that Congress is trying to get through here to achieve a farm bill. One point that could be yet again another point of contention is crop insurance payments, which are a big portion of ag economy and our direct payment from the farm bill, but Congress and more specifically, the government accountability office on Monday was looking through ways to achieve significant savings in the crop insurance program through a few different methods. The GAO office said that there are ways to reform the crop insurance payments and save billions of dollars on the program, which costs over $101 billion is the estimate over the next decade now the two ways that they're going to do this which i'm sure will not make farmers very happy tanner is to one reduce the guaranteed payments to insurers and to require wealthy operators to pay more for taxpayer-subsidized coverage. They don't say what this quote-unquote wealthy operator threshold looks like, but they did said, say that crop insurance is the largest strand of the farm safety net, and we, and they send more money to producers than traditional crop subsidies. They estimate on average that for every dollar of coverage, $0.62 cents gets paid back out to insurers, and as they look at crop year 2022, the government paid some $11.6 billion in premiums and farmers got $19 billion in indemnities. So the GAO and Environmental Working Group and a few other uh, folks are looking at ways to reduce this. Of course, we've. We're seeing some senators and representatives also get on board with this plan as well. But they're saying all in all that Congress needs to address the record profits being made by crop insurance companies. And they're saying that to some extent, those crop insurance payments that are getting paid out to insurance companies are not making it down to the small, what they said, small, diversified, struggling farmers. So don't know if that means specifically that farmers will in turn receive less or just the crop insurance companies. But to some extent, this is something they're wanting to tackle along with the Farm Bill Tanner. And that seems like a tall order to fill.
0: Uh, yes, that is an interesting article. I was reading that one as well. So we'll keep an eye on that, obviously, to keep listeners informed. My last story today, gonna be a little bit of a field good story, kind of a fun one. A farmer from West Central Oklahoma thought he had lost his phone forever. Kevin Whitney, his iPhone slipped out of his pocket and fell beneath 220,000 bushels of grain sorghum that was bound for parts unknown. He assumed that device was going to be gone forever, but instead, Delaney, his iPhone took a 20,000 mile round trip across the globe. Returning nine months later from Japan, Whitney was stunned to have the phone back in his hands again. He says he knows that farming is a global business and that something that was personal to him showed how small his the agricultural world is. What a cool and unlikely story. In the fall of 2013, combines rolled across Oklahoma. Kevin had been receiving a steady crop as loads manager of the Apache Farmers Co-op in Chickasaw, roughly 40 minutes south of Oklahoma City. Bathed in dust, according to this article, the phone slipped out of his hand and fell through the grates. The iPhone 5, Delaney, was slick and went through the grain receiving system, ultimately got shipped and was sold to Japan as part of that load. Of course, the iPhone was recovered in Japan and contact was made back. Couldn't believe how that had made it across the ocean loaded on a grain trailer, tucked onto a rail car, and then to the Arkansas River system. It then went through the Panama Canal and all the way to Japan before making its way back to the farmers. Kind of an interesting story there. Figured I'd enjoy sharing that with the listeners today.
2: I saw that one as well. It was fun. And it was, it's almost a decade-old story now, so a little throwback for everyone to take a look at. But what an interesting world. And I think, it, you know, as you mentioned, Tanner, it really helped him understand just how large the world is, but also how small at the same time. So that's right. Feel good story. Well, uh, we can feel a little bit better about the markets today, Tanner, as we look at grains trading a little higher on the board. Wheat still continues to try and push higher with uh, news of potentially more uh, exports headed to China. As we take a look here at the overnights, March corn up a penny and three quarters at 4.92, just ahead of the opening session. January soybeans up two and three quarters cents at 13.08 and three quarters. March Chicago wheat this morning up eight and three quarters cents at 6.40. Hard red March winter wheat up six and a half at 6.69 and a quarter, and March spring wheat up two and a quarter cent at 7.41 and a quarter. As we take a look at livestock and where they closed yesterday. February live cattle added $1.90 will open this morning at $1.68.97. January feeder cattle up the limit will open at $2.14.70. And February lean hogs down $1.45 yesterday on the board to open this morning at $69.35. we are chatting today with molly christensen of the texas state soil and water conservation to discuss some of the interesting programs they've got going on down there for growers in the texas panhandle region so let's turn it over to that conversation Folks, we are chatting today with Molly Christensen, the Communications and Outreach Coordinator for the Texas State Soil and Water Conservation Board. Molly, thanks for joining us today.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for having me.
2: So Molly, what is the Texas State Soil and Water Conservation Board? So
1: we are based in Temple, Texas, about an hour north of Austin, and we are a grassroots Conservation Agency. We are funded through the Texas legislature, so we receive the majority of our funds through the state, um, and we have 260, 216 um, Southern Water Conservation Districts across the state of Texas. Um, they cover all 254 counties, and we um, work to get conservation efforts on the ground.
0: Delaney, that is a big scope. When I think of the state of Iowa, we only have 99 counties. Of course, Texas is quite large. So how does your organization work to kind of unify that approach across the entire state?
1: So that is the whole goal of the Texas State Full and Water Conservation Board. So we work to administer our programs through those districts. Um, Each one of those districts is comprised of five um, local directors that live within the district. Um, And they um, are local subdivisions of government, and they partner with us. So we function essentially as a funnel um, to those districts to get funds from the state legislature through EPA, NRCS, um, and other grant organizations to get those funds down to the local level. Um, in order to get natural resource practices um, employed.
2: So Molly, as you think about today, what Texas State Soil and Water Conservation Board has implemented, what are some of the programs that you've helped farmers and ranchers pull together? And what are some of the things that you've seen as being successful during your time?
1: So I think our agency is unique in the fact that we also do a bunch of things that are outside of the scope of just soil and water conservation. So we have four key um, core programs. One of those being our flood control program. We operate the rehab and operation and maintenance section of that. um, And we work with our districts to make sure that their flood control structures within their district boundaries are up to standards and are Um, doing the best that they can to protect the lives and property of the citizens um, within their district boundaries. We also have the water quality management plan program, and we provide technical and cost-tier assistance to landowners to make sure that we get the best management practices for natural resources on the ground. And then, so with that program, we actually have 11,260 WQMPs statewide, covering about 5 million acres. Um, our next program is the um, nonpoint source program, and we partner with the Texas Commission on um, Environmental Quality to administer that program there. And then lastly, we have um, the Rio Grande Caribbean project, um, which is where we are working actively to control the invasive species along the Rio Grande River. Um, So like I said, we kind of um, have a huge scope of work when you really look at it from the 30,000 foot view. Um, And those districts just play um, a key role in making sure all of those programs are working effectively.
0: it's exciting to hear that you have all those different programs, because when I think of Texas, I don't think of floods and I don't think (laughs) of forests. It's uh, kind of fascinating. I know we've had some guests on from the state before, it seems like you're either dry or you get a lot of rain all at once. So is that why these programs are
1: important? Yeah, so we work to just make sure that um, all our bases are covered. Um, So we haven't had any significant flooding events, thankfully, um, I think since 2007. Um, But what has happened with our flood control structures is um, they're classified as low and high hazard dams. Um, And as urban sprawl has kind of taken over the state Um, these low hazard dams that were out in the middle of nowhere are now smack dab in the middle of a subdivision. And so the loss of life has increased, which has now increased the classification for that dam. So now it's a high hazard dam. And so that has kind of been the biggest initiative there with the flood control program. Um, It's not necessarily um, just the fact that we might get a massive amount of rain. Um, It's just the potential loss of life has increased, um, which is something that we have to address.
2: Molly, as you look at, you know, some of the programs that have started to roll out under this administration, how does that tie into what you're doing with growers? Are you helping them apply for these types of different, you know, climate smart or commodity smart programs, or do
1: you tie into that piece at all? So um, exciting news as of the 87th legislature, which was the last legislative session before this past one, we had Senate Bill 1118, um, which came into play. So we are we have enabling legislation that kind of kind of keeps us to our core four programs that I talked about earlier Um, and Senate Bill 1118. Um, has actually enhanced our jurisdiction um, for a wider range of natural resource priorities outside of our core programs. Um, Through this program, which is called the On the Ground Initiative, we're excited to partner um, with Texas A&M AgriLife Research to kick off the Texas Climate Smart Initiative, um, which is a five-year pilot program um, that will work with Texas farmers and ranchers, Um, to adopt climate smart agriculture and forestry practices. So we've actively been engaged in soil health practices um, and getting those resources to our directors and landowners. Um, But we haven't had a way to actively go seek out a grant as an agency. We just had to kind of serve as a partner in making sure that they have the resources to put on like soil health conferences. Um, And so we're excited to kind of have a little more wiggle room to go after um, some more climate-smart um, initiatives and practices.
0: So if you guys look to close out this year and prepare for next, what are some big initiatives that are on your docket?
1: Um, so that program in general is, is taking up a good chunk of um, our bandwidth. We are going to... It's covering the whole state of Texas. It's a brand-new program, and so we're having to do... Um, are having to hire a lot more bodies than we had. Um, and so we're gearing up to make sure that we're going to be the best resource that we can for them. Um, and so that one, I think is, is what's going to take up the biggest, um, section of our plate headed into the next year. Um, and then I think as we, um, as we continue into 2024, our priorities are going to stay the same as our main four programs, which are going to be the flood control program, our water quality management plan program, and then non-point source, and then addressing the invasive species around the Rio Grande River.
2: Molly, if we have any of our listeners who are interested in finding out more information about the organization, where can they go to find more information?
1: So on our website, there is the SWCD locator page. Um, It's based on where you live and and you can click on your county and that will give you the information um, for your local soil and water conservation district. Um, In order to be able to participate and be a cooperator with that district, you have to live within the county or the district boundaries. Um, And then you'll have to see what um, programs that they have available there within their district.
2: Awesome. Well, Molly, thanks so much yeah. for joining us today. We certainly appreciate your time.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, right In the middle of the week, we'll be back again with two more shows. Don't go too far away, listeners, Delaney. But for today, what do you say? Should we let them go?
1: Let's let
2: them go.